0: Improve the News podcast for Thursday, March 2nd, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Adam Clark. And I'm Eric Steiner
1: with a look at today's top stories. At least 40 are killed in a train collision in Greece. Bola Tanuba wins Nigeria's presidential election. Leaked government texts raise questions about the UK's COVID response.
0: Putin orders Russia's border with Ukraine to be strengthened following drone attacks.
1: Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot loses her re-election bid. UK
0: house prices fall at their fastest rate in over a decade.
1: US intelligence says foreign adversaries are unlikely to blame for so-called Havana syndrome.
0: Tesla plans to build a plant in Mexico. Denmark scraps a public holiday to boost its defense budget. And the CDC issues an alert for a drug-resistant stomach bug. In our top story,
1: tragic news coming from Greece as a train collision kills at least 40. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, Daily Mail, NPR Online News, BBC News and Washington Post. At least 40 people were killed after a passenger and cargo train collided head-on outside the town of Tempe in central Greece late on Tuesday. 66 of at least 85 injured people have been taken to hospitals in nearby Larissa, and about 250 passengers who received minor injuries were evacuated safely to Thessaloniki on buses. The passenger train traveling from Athens to Thessaloniki reportedly had approximately 350 passengers on board, mostly students returning from Greece's three-day carnival. On Wednesday afternoon, the Greek state broadcaster ERT reported that between 50 and 60 people are still missing. A three-day national mourning period has also been declared. While an investigation is still underway, the local station master, who oversees signaling, has reportedly been arrested and charged with causing deaths and bodily harm through negligence, though he denies responsibility, citing a possible technical failure. Greece's transport minister has also resigned. Tuesday's incident was Greece's worst train accident in living memory, surpassing a 1968 collision involving two passenger trains near the coastal city of Corinth that left at least 34 people dead and dozens injured.
0: Eric, thank you for sharing the sad facts of that story. Here on the show, we like to separate the facts from the narrative spins. For this story, there are a couple of narrative spins, starting off with narrative A, provided by New York Times. Tuesday's accident, unfortunately, highlights Greece's worrying railway safety record, which has the highest overall railway fatality rate among the EU countries. Countless lives will continue to be lost if endemic problems of unsafe level crossings, poor infrastructure and traffic management systems, and understaffed companies aren't addressed.
1: The Guardian gives us Narrative B. Despite facing a plethora of problems, Greece's aging railway system is moving towards modernization. While the cause of Tuesday's crash has not been ascertained yet, Greek authorities are moving quickly in their investigation and search and rescue, which, for now, is rightly prioritizing victims and their families. Want to help us improve the news? Go to improvethenews.org pod and take our quick survey and tell us what you think. And now, back to the
0: news. Bola Tanuba wins Nigeria's presidential election. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Guardian, Associated Press, CNN, and ITN. On Wednesday, Bola Tanuba, the candidate for the ruling All Progressives Congress, or the APC party, was declared the winner of Nigeria's presidential election. Opposition parties have claimed the vote was rigged. According to Nigeria's Independent National Electoral Commission, or the INEC, Tanuba, the former governor of Lagos State, won close to 8.8 million votes, or 37%, against nearly 7 million, or 29%, for the Opposition People's Democratic Party, or the PDP, candidate Atika Abubakar, and about 6.1 million, or 25%, for the Labor Party's Peter Obi. Labor Party and PDP representatives, however, have claimed that the vote was irretrievably compromised, and demanded its cancellation, while international observers criticized the process over multiple technical and logistical problems. In addition to pushing for fresh elections, APC opponents expressed a loss of confidence in Mohamed Yakubu, the INEC chairman. The electoral body, meanwhile, rejected calls for a new election, stressing that the electoral process has been free, fair, and credible. This comes after the PDP and Labor Party walked out of the election center in Abuja on Monday, arguing that the newly implemented electronic voting system, which is being used for the first time in Nigeria's national elections, lacks transparency. Tanubu is set to become Nigeria's fifth elected president since the country restored democracy in 1999. According to the INEC, more than 93 million people registered for the polls, 24 million valid votes were recorded, meaning a 26% voter turnout. Thank you for the report,
1: Adam. As we take a look at the spins, beginning with Narrative A coming from This Day Live. The electoral process in Nigeria has been marred by the incompetence of the INEC. Voters' and observers' trust in the process was eroded due to inadequate communication and lack of transparency about the cause of several failures on Saturday, which came amid widespread allegations of vote-buying. There is enough evidence to affirm that the electoral body has been manipulating the entire process to benefit the ruling APC.
0: And a narrative B provided by Premium Times. There are no legal or moral justifications for annulling the electoral process, only an anti-democratic desire among some, those who act as if they own Nigeria, to replicate the 1993 cancellation that tipped the country into chaos. It is strange that allegations of vote rigging emerged only when the APC had a strong lead and not when Labor's Obi was declared the winner in Lagos in a subversion of the projected result. We have our first nerd narrative
1: of today's podcast, and it says there's an 11% chance that Nigeria will have a coup before 2025. And that's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. <coughs> In our next story, a special report from the United Kingdom lockdown files as ex-health ministers leaked messages raise questions on a COVID response. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Spectator, Associated Press, Unheard, The Telegraph, Daily Mail and BBC News. The Telegraph has released a report dubbed The Lockdown Files based on more than 100,000 of former UK Health Secretary Matt Hancock's WhatsApp messages provided by co-author of Hancock's memoir, Isabel Oakeshott. The files largely focus on Hancock and the UK's handling of the COVID pandemic, raising questions about the government's approach to regulations. Notably, the report says Hancock ignored expert advice on testing people entering nursing homes for COVID. While care home residents made up only 5% of the UK's over 65 population, they reportedly accounted for around 30% of all COVID deaths in facilities across England and Wales during the first two years of the pandemic. Against the UK's chief medical officer's advice, Hancock reportedly didn't test people entering care homes, a decision the report alleges was taken to align with a national quota of 100,000 tests per day. The report also alleges that senior scientific advisors told former Prime Minister Boris Johnson that shielding measures weren't effective, but the government still asked 2.2 million people to follow the guidelines. Shielding guidelines were first introduced in March 2020 asking vulnerable people not to leave their homes. Current Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is reviewing his own private exchanges with Hancock, but a source close to him has reported his exchanges were very cautious. Meanwhile, Hancock's team says the messages have been doctored to create a false story about the former health secretary and his dealing with the pandemic, and that the allegations should be discussed in the current public COVID inquiry, which is scheduled to start hearing evidence in June. The Telegraph has promised to release further previously unknown details about the pandemic response over the coming days.
0: Thank you, Eric. We have a couple of narrative spins for this story, a narrative A provided by Spectator. The lockdown files offer a damning report that confirms the worst fears of any lockdown skeptic. The UK government, and Hancock in particular, was far more concerned with scoring political points and looking as though it was doing something than following the science. That Hancock rejected expert advice and the government enacted policies that caused unnecessary and widespread suffering, such as blocking people from visiting dying relatives with no clear basis, is unforgivable.
1: Narrative B is coming from Yahoo News. While Matt Hancock's leaked messages are a major news story, he shouldn't be the target of collected outrage. Like governments from all over the world, the UK made mistakes during an unprecedented time of crisis while navigating unchartered territories. And Hancock was at the forefront. More importantly, the so-called lockdown files only released a portion of the messages, arousing concern that the narrative has been manipulated to coincide with a rising anti-lockdown agenda.
0: Eric, are they saying that some people used COVID to profit? Surely not. That would be considered... No. Fraud. Never. That would be such a lack of character if people Absolutely. Surely not. Oh. No, no, there's, My there's goodness. certainly certainly, oh. not people like that in the world. Never. This cynical narrative brought to you by Adam and Eric. <laughs> it's day 371 in Ukraine as Putin orders strengthening of the borders after drone attacks. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, Guardian, Ukrainska Pravda, and Al Jazeera. Russian President Putin on Tuesday ordered officials to tighten control of the border with Ukraine after a number of drones penetrated Russian air defenses and exploded within Russian territory this week. Although Putin didn't refer to any specific attacks in his speech, it came hours after a drone fell near the village of Gubostovo, less than 60 miles from Moscow. According to The Guardian, the drone was a Ukrainian-made UJ-22, and had targeted a gas compression station belonging to the Russian energy giant Gazprom. The drone reportedly fell short of the facility, causing no damage. But the attack raised questions about how a drone was able to get so close to Moscow. As reported earlier in the week, the attack follows a drone strike on a Ronsneft oil refinery in the Russian region of Krasnodar Krai as well as authorities in St. Petersburg temporarily closing the airspace surrounding the city's airport after unconfirmed reports of a drone in the region. Meanwhile, on Wednesday, both Russia and Ukraine said they repelled renewed drone attacks. Russia's defense ministry said it downed 10 Ukrainian drones approaching Crimea, while Ukrainian officials said they downed a drone over the region of Kiev and four others over the region of Poltava. In the meantime, top diplomats from G20 countries, including U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, arrived in New Delhi for the forum's foreign secretaries' meeting that commenced with a welcome dinner on Wednesday before meetings kick off on Thursday. India's Foreign Minister Vinay Quatra said that while the Russian-Ukraine conflict will be an important point of discussion, he emphasized that questions relating to food, Energy and fertilizer security, as well as other concerns arising out of the conflict, will also receive equal attention.
1: Adam, thank you for the update on the Ukraine conflict. As we look at the spins, the first one is a pro establishment narrative coming from PBS NewsHour. This invasion is an egregious violation of international law. Putin's ultimate aim is to restore the Soviet empire, even if it takes massive bloodshed and false pretexts, such as calling the 2014 Ukrainian revolution after an election a coup. This unprovoked attack is the latest chapter
0: in Putin's Orwellian attempt to rewrite history. There's also a pro russian narrative provided by NSA Archive. NATO and the U.S. have ignored Russia's security concerns by breaking its promise not to expand eastward in return for German reunification. These concerns are legitimate, and taking them seriously would have avoided the Ukraine tragedy. The nerds from Metaculous chiming in with their narrative,
1: saying there's a 33% chance that Russia will use nuclear weapons against Ukraine before 2024. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot loses re-election bid. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, Chicago Sun, Politico, NBC, Fox News, and ABC7 Chicago. Incumbent Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot lost her re-election bid on Tuesday failing to make a top-two runoff in Chicago's mayoral primary election. Paul Vallis and Brandon Johnson will face off in the April runoff. Lightfoot finished third in Tuesday's election with roughly 17% of the vote. Vallis, the former CEO of Chicago Public Schools, and Chicago Teachers Union organizer Johnson finished with approximately 34% and 20% of the vote, respectively. Two hours after the polls closed, Lightfoot spoke to supporters and conceded the race. Nine candidates were on the ballot, and since none surpassed the 50% threshold needed to win, the runoff will take place on April 4th. Lightfoot became the first elected mayor to lose a re election race since Jane Byrne was defeated in the 1983 Democratic primary. Lightfoot has become a lightning rod figure since becoming mayor in 2019, but Chicago's persistent crime likely led her to political demise. Lightfoot stated that her identity as a black female played a role in her loss. When asked if she believed she was treated unfairly during the campaign process, Lightfoot responded, quote, I'm a black woman in America, of course. The two runoff candidates are making clear distinctions between themselves as Vallis runs as a conservative Democrat focused on tackling Chicago's crime, while Johnson is a progressive who has attacked Vallis's more
0: conservative leanings. Thank you, Eric. Our left narrative spin on this story is provided by Chicago Crusader. Unfortunately, America still hasn't overcome its racist, sexist, and homophobic beliefs, and Lori Lightfoot had to pay the price for it. As an openly LGBTQ and black female, she faced an uphill battle of systemic inequality. Racially charged dog whistles about crime were later used during the campaign, and Lightfoot was unable to overcome the bias against her.
1: Washington Examiner gives us a right narrative for this story. Lori Lightfoot lost re-election because she's been a terrible mayor. It's that simple. Lightfoot may try to play the victim and blame her identity for losing, but the fact is that she is an abrasive figure who did nothing to tackle the crime ravaging Chicago and costing a massive loss of life. Chicago deserved better, and
0: luckily, they will get better. In our next story, the house prices in the U.K. are falling at the fastest rate in over a decade. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Financial Times, Reuters, Guardian, BBC News, The Telegraph, and CNBC. Last month saw the biggest decline in UK house prices in more than a decade, falling 1.1% in February against the same month last year, according to an announcement from mortgage provider Nationwide on Wednesday. It was the largest year-on-year drop since November 2012, and came as distinct data from the Bank of England, or the BOE, revealed British lenders had approved the smallest number of mortgages in January this year since 2009, excluding a period at the start of the COVID lockdown. In the news, the average price of a property in February dropped £900, or $1,082, from the month before to £257,406, or $309,582. Many experts have cited a decline in demand, as fewer UK residents can afford mortgages amid record high interest rates. According to a recent survey, vendors are currently having to cut their asking prices by an average of £14,000. Mortgage rates are still well above the lows of 2021, as stated by Nationwide's Chief Economist, Robert Gardner. Economic headwinds look set to remain relatively strong, he also said, with the labor market widely expected to weaken as the economy shrinks in the quarters ahead. Outside of housing pressures, those living in the UK face rising costs across the board. An analyst from Pantheon Macroeconomics, Gabriella Dickens, has highlighted that household budgets will further be stretched starting in April when the government's Energy Price Guarantee, or EPG, increases from 2.5 thousand to three thousand pounds projections vary about how far house prices may continue to decline with some experts putting the figure as high as 30 percent
1: thank you for the facts of that story adam as we look at the first spin it is narrative a coming from cnn while house prices are currently seeing historic dips as the waves of the catastrophic mini budget under liz trust continue to dissipate markets should not catastrophize over this data Some economists have pointed out that the UK is on track to see inflation recede in the second half of 2023, something that will see momentum and stability return to the economy.
0: And there's a narrative B provided by Sky News. The only question about the short to medium future of the housing market that needs answering is whether this is the beginning of a gradual deflation or whether the whole system on which the UK economy is largely based is about to burst. Even with a decline of just 12%, the stability of this sector of the market could be compromised. Economists should not be feeling optimistic about these developments.
1: It's amazing. I'd like to know what diet they're on. They say in
0: February, the average property dropped 900 pounds. I think it's just water weight. It's going to go up like a matter of 330 pounds like in the, the following week. Yeah, you're right. It will balance. It balances out, yeah.
1: Yeah, Okay. <laughs> In our next story, foreign adversaries are unlikely to blame for the Havana Syndrome. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the New York Post, Washington Post, CNN, Fox News, New York Times, and Guardian. The findings of a multi-year investigation carried out by seven U.S. intelligence agencies and released on Wednesday into the so-called Havana Syndrome, a series of unexplained symptoms consistent with brain injury, cast doubt on long-standing suspicions that the hundreds of cases resulted from the actions of a foreign adversary. Five of the agencies asserted that it was very unlikely that a foreign adversary was responsible for the symptoms, either purposely or incidentally, while another agency deemed it unlikely. A seventh agency avoided commenting about a foreign actor. It reverberates an interim report from the CIA last year that also found it unlikely that the anomalous health incidents were caused by a sustained worldwide campaign of any foreign actor. U.S. officials and agents who have reported experiencing the symptoms pushed back on the findings, questioning their validity and urging investigations to continue as they insist that outside weaponry is to blame. While the U.S. agencies determined that there was no credible evidence that any adversaries had developed a weapon or a collection device to cause the injuries after reviewing the intelligence, the Pentagon hasn't ended its inquiry as it has yet to find an explanation behind the symptoms. Roughly 1,000 cases of anomalous health conditions, including ringing in the ears, followed by pressure in the head and nausea, headaches, and acute discomfort, have been reported and investigated, with the first ones appearing at the U.S. Embassy in Havana in 2016.
0: Thank you, Eric, for the facts. Our narrative A spin for this story is provided by Politico. Though the U.S. intelligence community has departed from the years long narrative that a foreign adversary was causing health incidents experienced by hundreds of government officials and their families, there's yet no explanation for those suffering after serving their country. Investigations into political reasons must continue, especially because radio frequency energy remains a possible cause. Narrative
1: B is coming from unheard. It's disturbing that the U.S. intelligence community has yet to entirely dismiss the absurd scientific hoax called Havana Syndrome, allowing the government to approve compensation for the alleged victims, despite the best explanation for these concussion-like symptoms being mass hysteria, possibly due to stress. Even UFO abductions are more credible than allegations sustaining this theory. These symptoms, ringing in the ears, followed by pressure in the head and nausea, headaches, it just sounds like one big hangover to me. I think they're not telling us something. Mmm,
0: I think you're onto something there. Maybe we should help them out with the, some really big Alka-Seltzers. Lopez Obrador says Tesla will build a plant in Mexico. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Financial Times, BBC News, Mexico Daily News, Forbes, DW, and Reuters. Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador announced Tuesday that car manufacturer Tesla will build a new factory in the northern city of Monterrey. The development of the facility to become Tesla's third factory outside of the U.S. following plants in China and Germany has raised concerns over the factory's water demands affecting the region. After López Obrador claimed last week that selecting the region was the wrong option due to water shortages and severe drought, the president revealed that he and Elon Musk had spoken on two occasions virtually since then, with the Tesla owner receptive to those concerns. Lopez Obrador did not offer specifics on the size or scope of the factory, but did say the plant would be a considerable investment, providing more jobs. This comes after Tesla announced 3,000 new jobs at its factory in Nevada last month. Mexican Deputy Foreign Minister Martha Delgado has claimed that Musk will invest approximately $5 billion in the new plant, making it the largest electric vehicle plant in the world. Foreign investors reached a new high in Mexico last year due to the combination of lower wages and a skilled workforce. Mexico has also seen investor growth due to geopolitical supply chain disruptions, tensions between the U.S. and China, and the COVID pandemic. Delgado stated that the new factory would produce approximately 1 million vehicles a year. Tesla currently has an annual combined production capacity of over 1.9 million vehicles. Those are the facts and here are the
1: spins. The first one is Narrative A coming from L Universal. The deal between Tesla and Mexico allows Elon Musk's company to utilize the lack of export tariffs to over 40 countries that production in the U.S. cannot provide. Meanwhile, Tesla's venture into the Mexican manufacturing economy will generate further business and employment. This
0: is a true win-win opportunity. And narrative B provided by rest of world. Mexico and Latin America as a whole have become overly fond of incoming foreign tech investment, believing a tech boom will naturally follow. In fact, Mexico simply expects Musk's venture to be a success rather than doing the hard work to make this a reality. While the opportunity may be too good to say no, such a move could actually be a hindrance to Mexico's longer-term development.
1: And Metaculous Prediction Community gives us a nerd narrative. They say there's a 50% chance that Tesla will report producing at least 3.93 million vehicles in 2025. We move from Mexico to Denmark as they scrap a public holiday to boost their defense budget. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, The Defense Post, Reuters, Bloomberg, DW, and Washington Post. On Tuesday, Denmark's parliament voted 95 to 68 to abolish Great Prayer Day, a springtime religious holiday observed since the 17th century to boost military spending. Canceling the public holiday would give the government an additional 3 billion Danish crowns or 427 million U.S. dollars to state coffers, Thanks to an extra 7.4 hours of labor per worker. The government argues most of the extra 4.5 billion Danish crowns, or 639 million US dollars, needed to meet the NATO defense spending target of 2% of GDP by 2030, will be covered by high tax revenues anticipated from abolishing the holiday. In addition, the government maintains the plan to raise the defense budget to meet NATO's target by 2030 instead of 2033 due to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. By early February, 50,000 people gathered outside the parliament in Copenhagen to protest Prime Minister Mette Frederiksen's proposal, which she claimed was essential for defense and security, health care, psychiatry, and the green transition. The loss of the holiday has triggered a backlash, with opposing lawmakers calling the vote foolish, crazy, and totally wrong. At the same time, trade unions launched an online petition that gathered nearly 500,000 signatures.
0: Eric, thank you for the update for what's going on in Denmark. We've got a few narrative spins on this. The establishment critical narrative is provided by the local. Scrapping a holiday associated with important Danish traditions to increase productivity is unacceptable. It's unfair to make hardworking Danes cover the cost of corporation tax cuts and fill the coffers of high-net-worth individuals with their well-earned holiday. Moreover, the decision interferes with many young people's long-standing plans to attend Church of Denmark confirmation ceremonies around the Great Prayer Day.
1: Associated Press gives us the pro-establishment narrative for this story. There is a war in Europe, and as Denmark braces for uncertain geopolitical and economic times, the nation needs to strengthen its defenses. It is not only ordinary Danes paying for the challenging situation, the coalition is also advancing a plan to impose tax hikes on the upper class to boost finances so that the country can meet NATO's military spending target by 2030.
0: And the Metaculous Prediction community have a nerd narrative on this story. They say there's an 85% chance that the Social Democrats will hold a position of government after the next Danish general election. You know, Eric, it's sad that they lose this holiday, but you know who really loses out? The folks at Hallmark. (laughs) Yeah. They can't sell any any cards for Great Prayer Day. Yeah. That's very, very sad. And in our final story, the CDC issues an alert for a drug-resistant stomach bug. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Fox News, New York Post, Independent, Daily Mail, and CBS. The US Centers for Disease and Prevention, or the CDC, says it's tracking a rise in stomach illnesses caused by infections with extensively drug-resistant Shigella bacteria. Shigella is resistant to multiple antibiotics. According to CDC data, there are about 450,000 shigellosis infections every year in the US, resulting in an estimated $93 million in direct medical costs. The agency also reported that 5% of infections were extensively drug-resistant in 2022, up from zero cases in 2015. Shigellus, which can cause diarrhea, fever, and stomach cramps, were predominantly found in children under four, but the CDC has noticed an increase in adults, particularly gay and bisexual men, the homeless, travelers from overseas, and people with HIV. Of the 41 extensively drug resistant patients the CDC surveyed, 88% reported having male to male sexual contact. Diagnoses were also reported in a total of 39 states, the most prevalent of which were California with 76 cases, Colorado with 36, and Massachusetts with 34. Colorado Health Official Rachel Jervis said that of the 17 recently identified extensively drug resistant cases, almost half were hospitalized. 24% were experiencing homelessness, 29% reported drug use, and 59% were immunocompromised. Beyond consulting with professionals experienced in treating antibiotic-resistant bacteria, the CDC's recommendations for those suspected or confirmed cases include staying home from work, abstaining from sex, frequent hand-washing, and other hygienic precautions. Adam, thanks for the facts of that story. As we
1: look at the two spins that have emerged, Narrative A is the first one coming from Gizmodo. Though developing countries with poor water quality will be hit hardest by an increase in Shigella cases, the virus itself is, in general, a relatively minor threat. Good hygiene, rest, and hydration are key. Scientists are also working on a vaccine
0: to prevent infection in the first place. Our final Narrative B is provided by NBC News. Chigolosis does go away after some rest for most people, but a rise in drug-resistant cases should still alarm us. For immunocompromised patients, such as those with untreated HIV or who are undergoing chemotherapy, there are real risks of serious illness and hospitalization. <laughs>
1: Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Thursday, March 2nd,
0: 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit
1: our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Adam Clark, I'm Eric Steiner, inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News.